Welcome to Geared for Growth, a very special episode today as we're interviewing some property podcasting royalty. Tyrone Shum is the host of Property Investory, which is a very polished podcast that's actually sponsored by a couple of banks. Everything this podcast aspires to be and more. We take a deep dive into the background of Tyrone, what he wanted to do when he grew up, why he got into property, and his insights around interviewing some of the best and brightest property minds in Australia and what he's learned from them. It's an awesome interview with Tyrone and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Here he is. I've been wanting to reach out for a long time. I must apologize. I don't know what's taken so long, um, but you're... you're podcasting property royalty so it's a it's a real it's a real pleasure for for, for anyone though um tyrone that maybe hasn't come across you before and we'll we'll give some more details about how they can get in touch with you but um who are you and what do you specialize in for the uninitiated <laughs> i love this we've been having a great chat beforehand and uh, yeah i love your sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a little bit about my background. Uh, who am I? I'm the host of Property Investory Podcast, which is one of the number one property podcasts on iTunes. We've had close to about 2 million downloads since we started. I interview a lot of property investor stories and share their journeys on our podcast. We, yeah, we pretty much love, love stories about people's successes and so forth. A little bit about me. I'm just a pretty much an ordinary Australian who loves to talk about property and I love to bring guests like Mike onto the podcast. Beautiful. And uh, definitely check out Property Investory. It's kind of everything that you deserve in a podcast that don't get with the Geared for Growth podcast. So I can't recommend it highly enough. Some great guests and yes, like very successful. Thank you. Now, Tyrone, what posters were on the bedroom wall growing up? Oh, gosh. Star Wars, Marvel. <laughs> I could go on forever. <laughs> My superheroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, where do I start actually? Well, where where do you want me to start actually in terms of that? Well, I mean, like this is one of those things where you start a podcast and you think there should be some commonality. So, we've got the three sort of opening questions and it's a, I guess it's just like when I say who are you, some people go, oh, you know, that's really deep or others will just go, oh, I'm Tyrone Shum. Next. Um, but the second one is like, you know, what were you into growing up? You know, what did you think was cool? Let's give us a bit of a an, an insight and, and, you know, wherever possible, an embarrassing story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when I lost my first <laughs> kiss to da-da-da. No, <laughs> no. no. Uh, yeah, I, I think for me growing up was I had a pretty ordinary, um, yeah, growing up childhood with living in Sydney and so forth. I went to school. Uh, pretty pretty much locally around Stratfield and then also went to a private school out in Summer Hills. Um, I won't name that school because it had been in the media previously and most people could guess it without me having to say which school it is. Uh, but no, I had, I had a pretty good upbringing. I was very heavily involved in sports and I, I loved doing a lot of um, outdoor activity, extracurricular activity. So one of the things I was very heavily involved in was Duke of Edinburgh. I um, yeah, went out doing a lot of different things for that, especially you know camping, hiking trips, uh, cycling was one of my specialties. I really, really had passion for that. I was pretty much an outdoors type of person. But on the other side of things, you know, I had the creative side. I was involved in the symphony orchestra back at school. I was very much heavily involved in a lot of, um, how do you say, like, uh, I guess, leadership type of roles as well. I was part of the peer support yeah. group. I was, you know, house captain, uh, part of the prefect committee. So, yeah, I was involved in a lot of things at school growing up. And I think I was very, very fortunate to go to school 
that enabled me to reach my full potential. Not that I've reached my full potential yet, uh, but <laughs> you sound like an overachiever so far. You know, play in the orchestra, blow glass, do hard sums. You know, a Renaissance man. Yes, you know, I'll be like the next Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, it was it was fun. I think the good thing about going to a school like that was that there were so many opportunities. You know, there are kids who go to school who were just, you know, doing the academic stuff and just went to school for the sake of going to school because their parents sent them there. But for me, I was very fortunate that I got access to so many different things. And it was just because I, I guess the teachers there were very supportive. I was very encouraged to to involved in so many things because Growing up, I wasn't really that much of a sporty type of person. Um, my father used to always <laughs> force me to go for exercise in the morning. I'd say, no, Dad, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when, when school said, look, you, you guys actually have to, you know, encourage Tyrone to actually get a little bit more physically active because I was a bit of a fat little boy back then. Um, they, they, <laughs> they said to me, you got to get early in the morning into the pool and start training. So, I was kind of forced into a regiment and that's where I kind of started involving in swimming, athletics cross country all those kind of things and I think by having that kind of discipline and um, start at an early stage very early in the morning it kind of got me involved in a lot of great activities and then you know things expand from there so yeah I, I think I had a pretty good upbringing I had um, a lot of great support from school from family from from peers and so forth and it, it took me to you know where I am I went to university studied computer science Loved um, that course, except that I failed my first year. So, <laughs> um, the, the reason why actually was I chose that course was because I was actually passionate about computers. I actually had an uncle who was from Hong Kong initially and he came back and actually started a business called Future Kids, which I don't think it even exists anymore, but it was like this massive franchise that taught kids about how to use computers. And back oh, maybe 20 years ago actually, or even longer, maybe 25 yeah 25 years ago computers was just starting to come out you know kids were starting to learn how to use it we're all just understanding about dos and windows and all that kind of stuff like now technology is everywhere even the kid who's three years old or two years old can just pick up a phone swipe and go yep that works we didn't have that when we grew up like it was pretty much you had to know some of the commands you had to learn about you know how to press a button to turn x y and z on etc so it was a lot more harder technology the way it is you know to even create a podcast like this i reckon would have taken a, you know a month or so worth of technology and work and <laughs> compilation and people involved a phd and a <laughs> case of jolt cola <laughs> I, I remember when the internet came to my little town um myself and jeremy Persin went to the library to use it we booked out like half an hour and we had to like cut out urls from like cricket magazines and stuff so we went to kookaburracricketbats.com we went to two other than then we're like well like where do we go now we don't know what to do we didn't i don't know if there was a search engine i'm sure there was. <laughs> wasn't we, we, we didn't know what what was going on so then we just kind of like you know 12 minutes in of our 30 minute block we just left like, I don't know about this internet thing. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's like, <laughs> remember all that stuff yeah. that you had to dial in that modem? That took like a good five to ten minutes to get in. You're just like holding on the edge. But I think when email came out and, and browsers came out properly and they started teaching us and we all started using the internet, it's like, wow, you know, it's actually a really, really powerful tool. So, I think things have changed dramatically. I, I don't know if you remember us picking up those phones where we had to actually press or dial the old headsets yeah. yeah i mean my kids when they looked at it when i showed them recently they're like what's that daddy and i'm like it's a telephone what about the mobile 
That's how we are, how old we are. We are from the past, unfortunately, and I think you're a lot younger than I am. But uh, yeah, we're 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 both past it, and that's just the pace of change. We're dinosaurs about, by the sounds of it. Yeah. What about uh, property? How how did you first get started in property, and what was your first investment? Yeah, so I, I guess from from a young age, my father had always been involved in doing renovations. He, for, for some reason, he every property that he'd buy, because we moved probably about three houses when we were young. I mean, that, that's probably about, you know, between the ages zero to 15, we moved every five years or so, just because I think yeah. we just needed to expand and we needed a bigger place. But every time we moved, dad would always be on the tours and, and doing renovations, whether or not he'd be renovating a, a bathroom, pulling out the kitchen and, and putting out new cupboards. Um, he loved his garden. I can tell you that. Landscaping was his thing and he'd be out in the garden for ages. So, he'd get me involved when I was a little bit older and help him with, with the gardening side of things as well and you know, replacing simple lights, painting, all that kind of stuff. So, at a very young age, I was very heavily involved in renovations. Not that I knew what it was. I just thought, you know, I'm just helping dad with some handyman work. He even gave me yeah. a drill, a power drill at like oh, 8, 15 and I'm like, Man stuff. Yeah, man stuff. This is great. You know, I never ever drilled anything in my life. So, I said, go for it. <laughs> Imagine this little screamy, fat, chubby kid trying to <laughs> going out the wall. It was just hilarious. I mean, like, oh, things that I did. And I was like, wow. Looking back at it in hindsight, I was actually very blessed to hear and learn all those things at a young age because I guess in my property journey, I've actually been involved in managing renovations, managing developments, you know, looking at buying property and all those kind of things. And it, it, it makes you think, wow, without those kind of experiences, you wouldn't have known, you know, what this is all about. Even just talking to tradespeople and understanding where they're coming from. Like the other day, I was talking to a carpenter and I was saying, oh, I got to get a Sparky in. I mean, Sparky? <laughs> What's that? If, if you don't know what it is and like, you know, to know yeah. the terminology, it's an electrician. And they're saying, you know, we've got to get a few studs in the wall, got to make sure we put a bracket in behind this, you know, part of the plaster and so forth and run a certain, you know, snake cable up here and there. Like you, most of the time, most people wouldn't have a clue what this is. And then when you've actually had a bit of experience, exposure to, to renovations with the Sparky or carpenters and stuff, you can actually relate to them in their terminology and be able to actually get things done properly. So, I guess I'm very, very fortunate at a very young age, I was exposed to property. Um, so, yeah, I guess... From that point onwards, um, I, I went to school, didn't think much more about it. But I think around about end of, actually no, beginning of, of, of my first year of university, that year that I flunked um, my first subject at, at computer science, it, it kind of put a change in me because I was thinking there's got to be more to life. I actually, when I went home, I was pretty much devastated. I was, I was crying. I was hidden in a corner and I said, why would I fail this subject? And it was just literally by one mark. It was abysmal. I was like, one mark, 49 out of 100. I'm like, how could I just fail? If I just got one extra mark, I would have been 50 and I would pass and it would have been fine. But I think when that did happen to me, it was the turning point in my life because if it didn't happen to me, I, I don't think I would be involved in property because at that point in time, my aunt came up to me and said, look, you know, there's more to life. You can, you, you've got so much potential, you can do so much more. You know, just this one mark in a subject that you might not enjoy doesn't mean anything to be honest because once you get out to the real world, there's a lot more other things you've got to learn and if you can't even just handle this little failure, what are you going to do? So, she gave me… I mean, yeah. that, 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 is very, that is very true, very sagely advice. I mean, I, I spoke to a, a buyer's agent this morning that said, you don't win and lose, you win and learn and I thought, 
that made me think about that. But still, I'd be looking for where that lecturer parked their car. <laughs> 49. I mean, I got a 49.5 in, in economics, which I ended up doing really well at postgraduate. But, yeah, got a 49.5 and, you know, emailed the lecturer and they're like, oh, it rounds up. I'm like, well, he should have just given me 50. We could have avoided this conversation. <laughs> Oh, now I'm going to have to take the egg off your car. <laughs> <laughs> that, that never happened, but honestly, that's rude. 49. Yeah. No, I did appeal and I, I went to, back to them many times and they said, no, nah, you know, it, it's, it's cut and dry. I'm like, gosh, that's not fair. So, luckily, I didn't have to repeat that class. I just said, stuff this. I'm going to do something else instead. But no, in all honesty, it was it was a turning point in my life. And um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, by, by having that change and that book that I was talking about that my aunt actually gave me called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's where yes. everything just completely changed. And I was engrossed in that book. That first night when I, I, I picked it up and started reading it, I literally read it from front to back in like, you know, three hours or something like that and I just couldn't put it down. And that kind of sparked, you know, this interest in not only property but also business as well too because Robert talks about, um, you know, buying assets and one of the things that he was doing was laundromats. So, it gave me an idea of actually setting up a, a laundromat business, you know, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> and But also talking about buying property. So, that's where it kind of sparked my interest going, okay, I got to learn more about property. And at that time, at a very young age, I, I was a very strong saver. So, fortunately for me, you know, I saved up already like 40K in my bank account and I could go and do something with it, but I didn't know what to do with it. So, um, I started doing a bit of research, educating myself, and that's where I stumbled across Steve McKnight. So, Steve McKnight had a, a results program. You know, it was very, very, very affordable to get in. And because I was one of the first rounds, he actually gave us all very um, one-on-one kind of mentoring coaching. And I think, you know, that's where the story started is that Steve taught us all about buying positive cash flow properties, the simple formula. You know, you buy, you look at the rental yield or the rental return and you divide it by, I think it was 10, and that should just give you roughly about how much it should be and they'll give you like a 10% yield. I can't remember the exact formula but that, that's how I basically figured out, you know, to go and buy my first positive cash flow property which I bought in a regional town called um, West Wylong and that property I bought for like 105000 and it was returning $220 a week. So, you know, that's where I started, you know, my first wow. property. Hmm. I sort of grew up not far from West Wylong. It's oh, a, really? It's, a, it's a not a very not a very sort of well known area. No, um, no. And 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 did that sort of remain? I guess the the investment philosophy was was you were in the sort of cash flow camp. I was, and that's where I started initially. And I thought, why not try to see if I can generate positive cash flow? Because a young student who doesn't want to work <laughs> yeah. goes to show. You know, I was a bit lazy. I thought, how could I actually generate passive cash flow? positive cash flow from doing the kind of things that I'd be doing, whether or not I set a laundromat or a vending machine business, which is what I did actually. And also- That was to, the uni side hustle, right? That was a uni side hustle. I went on and, and set up a few vending machines and a few companies, you know, collected a few coins per week and, you know, made a little bit of profit. But it also led me to think, how can I go and purchase either another property or rent out a property and basically divide each individual room and- you know, rent it out or sublease it out. And that's what I did actually. I actually rented out about five properties and sublet out each one. And each one was generating about an extra 100 bucks a week. So, imagine having five of that, that's an extra 500 bucks a week of positive cash flow, which for you know a 19-year-old or 20-year-old that's at uni, it's actually quite a lot of money for not doing anything. 
you've cracked the golden formula, yeah. I guess, at that age. So y- you would rent a property, and you and you. I wasn't just a, a sublet of the whole property. It was you were individually subleasing the rooms, like a border. Pretty much, yeah. Because thing. because the location I chose was literally next to uni, next to the university. So I attracted a lot of students, and um, each room was pretty much just um, subletted out at a se- separate rate. Um, the thing was, was, and this is what I, I was. I was being very um, more of a hustle, uh, resourceful type of person. And um, because of that, I was able to find, I guess, um, secondhand furniture from locally around the area. Like I could find beds, I could find tables, you know, all sorts of things. And um, that's how I filled those rooms up, making them all furnished without, you know, students having to actually, because a lot of the students that come either from overseas or have recently moved out from home, they don't have any furniture and they don't want to spend the money on furniture. So I thought, why not fully furnish these places that they can actually, you know, just move in straight away and they just pay rent. And that's what I did, you know, for a short period of time, I just went and collected all the furniture from the garbage, you know, cleanup days. Oh, yeah. Council pickup. <laughs> yep. I was about to say that would have been a gold mine. It was. They, you know, like um, I, I remember mates completely furnishing properties with, with council pickup. You know, occasionally you see stuff out there that's pretty cool oh, it's brand a lot of the it's not like brand new but at least it's 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 usable and like i'm just thinking why do people throw these things out i actually got myself a, a almost new tables a lot of times and if, if it was just dusty that's all i had to do is just wipe it down and then just put it in it was fine i got really good chairs just the usual things that you need chairs tables beds cupboards <laughs> people would throw those things out and i think people are just lazy they just can't be bothered to you know sell it or they just can't be bothered to take it down and dump so they just chuck it out the front it's easier that way so people like us come in and do that and you could imagine i collected a lot and i literally had a garage full of extra stuff <laughs> That's what I did. So, I thought this is my storage area. So, if I need some extras, I'll just keep going in and pull it out. And my wife was always like my my then back then girlfriend, now wife. She said to me, you're becoming a hoarder. I'm like, no, no. But this then is if, a- the, if, if the tenant or the or the roomie sort of comes and says to you, oh, you know, Tyrone, I've broken the table. Like, All right, come into the shed. All right, now, A, B, C, T, T for tables. All right, pick one of these three. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> So, it was a very interesting uh, business and uh, I guess proposition on what I did. So, it, it kind of, you know, I was young and enthusiastic and I just went out and did that. Uh, long story short though, it, it was very time consuming as well for me. So, there's a lot of sweat equity that was involved yeah. in putting all this together, managing the tenants because I was still very fresh. I didn't know how to manage tenants well. I had a few tenant issues and stuff like that. But I mean, I ran that for probably good three years or so, two to three years before I actually got sick of it. You know, I just pretty much just let it all go, sold all the furniture and then just moved on to my next business. And that's kind of where probably ended in that side of things. And I just focused on business for the next few years, except, you know, yep. to purchase my own, own Occupy home, which I did back in 2010. Yep. And, and post-uni, you had a, a brief sort of real estate sales career. Oh, yeah. um, I'm... Um, just wondering if there was any sort of Kiyosaki and principle there because I know he sort of talks about upskilling yourself in the areas where you're sort of deficient. Was there some sort of, uh, I guess, strategic nuance to that or you just, you wanted, was that the plan that you actually thought you might have a full real estate career? Absolutely. Well, I have to say, thanks to Robert, (laughs) it was him who actually drove me to go say, look, get a sales job. You know, he said, hone in and improve those sales skills and get in there. And I thought, 
I'm interested in property. I'm interested in sales. Why not just get a, become a real estate agent? And unfortunately, I got into a very, very good franchise, LJ Hooker, that um, provided a lot of training and their training systems are, are amazing. Like They provide great systems to learn from. They provide great trainers and all of that was covered as long as you know, you're, you're part of the agency for quite a bit of time. So I think they locked me in for about two years or so once I got all that training. And um, yeah, I definitely learned a lot and being part of a great team that was very successful in the area, I also got to leverage off and um, learn so much more about property than I would have, you know, just going to property, doing it as an investor. You get to learn the ins and outs, you get to actually inspect the property. Like I think at the end of the day, a lot of people just don't have the time to go and spend the weekends to look at property and, and do what we do as agents. Whereas agents, because you've actually do it as a full-time job, you actually see the ins and outs of it. You understand how contracts work. You understand how to negotiate with vendors. You understand how mm. to work with buyers. All those are actually essential skills when actually investing in a property because if you understand those processes, then it really gives you sort of an, an edge to be able to look at the right properties that would be suitable for a portfolio that you want to build, for example. So I, I picked those skills up intentionally. On top of that, the sales skills, which came as a bonus. Yeah. And and you interview a lot of buyers agents as as I do and and you will notice that their ability to negotiate runs rings around the untrained people, right? I've seen buyers agents at auctions just being sort of devastatingly efficient against people that might do two auctions in their entire life and that's auction number, you know, 3 yeah. for them that day. <laughs> it, it it makes a big difference. Talk us through the the West Wyalong property. So you mentioned that that was sort of, I guess, a result of the the Steve McKnight sort of methodology. But what was it that made you pick that area, that location, that property type? Was it really just based on the numbers, on that sort of the ratio of the price versus the the return? Yeah, I. I, I learned quite a lot from that course and I think in hindsight, looking back at it, it wasn't a, a, the best area to have chosen. I wish I actually spent a bit more time doing my due diligence because I think, you know, it's always in hindsight you learn about these experiences. But yes, it was based on, purely on numbers but also to what I liked about that particular property was because it was residential on the top and commercial on the bottom. So, it was a mixed um, use a property so therefore if anything happened I, I had both income come in but yeah. in saying that for, for how much 110 did you say 220 a week 220 yeah okay. so I bought that property for 105,000 105 you got a mixed use property for 105,000 yeah for, for a 30,000 30, deposit because that's what the banks were requiring because they considered that as commercial and I didn't, yeah. didn't know too much back then so that was my actual first commercial experience in actual fact so you know, well, it kind of de-risks you in 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 a, in a sense because the the banking requirement was was such that you couldn't leverage too high. So that was maybe a good thing as a first time investor. Yeah, it was, and um, I mean, I wasn't complaining. I was getting positive cash flow every week, so you know, mm. extra extra money was great. Though I guess looking back at it, because I held that investment for probably a good six years, if I remember it. And I sold it off because I wanted to actually do something else with it to buy another property. Um, but unfortunately, there's absolutely zero capital growth in that. You know, great cash flow, but zero capital growth. And that was the biggest learning lesson from that whole experience is that the demand in West Wylon wasn't there. You know, there's reasonably a lot of supply there, but you'd yep. be buying it just mostly for the cash flow. And, you know, the tenants were good there for a while, but after a, a period of time, you know, there's maintenance issues, there's... Um, yeah, tenants, if if they don't end up paying certain you know increases and so forth, 
and uh, and I think also a big learning lesson as well too to top that off was I managed it myself. I thought, oh, I'll just save a few bucks on puppy yep. management, and um, yeah, it, obviously after about four years or so, that's when the tenant realized, hold on, you know, I don't have to pay him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He's not chasing me, so yeah, it was uh, it was a big learning lesson. And I think from there, there was two main things I said to myself: I won't be buying a regional town again unless you know I know how close it is to say you know CBD area and that there's going to be possible capital growth and there's infrastructure yeah. and so forth. And two, never ever manage it ever again myself. Right, <laughs> always a property manager. But, but when you look at that return that you were getting, let, let's say you were getting um, a five percent yield, but you were getting six or seven percent year-on-year capital growth, would it have actually outperformed it? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I know that the property I purchased in Sydney, in comparison to the one that I had in West Wyalong, year-on-year, it's it's increased. What's well, it's been ten years, and it's already doubled in its value. You know, bought right. it for four fifty. It's worth nine hundred now, and. It's neutral. Actually, it's positive cash flow. I'm just trying to think about it, but it returns about trying to work it out. Yeah, actually, returns five percent yield at the moment. I, I would rather have more of those properties day in day out than to have positive cash flow. Because when you say extra hundred bucks a week, that's what extra five grand a year yep. compared to say an extra four hundred fifty thousand in capital growth. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something, something. You know, I'm the, not a the, mathematician, but um, I'm starting to see some patterns here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, interesting. So, so how do how do you, how does the interplay between capital growth and cash flow work for you when you're investing in your portfolio now? Is is cash flow just a means to support your preferred growth assets? Totally. So, I recently purchased a commercial slash residential. Again, mixed use. (laughs) I can't seem to get away from these type of properties. Uh, But no, for 105, I'm guessing. Yeah, not for 105. But (laughs) the the intention behind this was I wanted to de-risk, you know, any issues. So, for example, if I lost a tenant, you know, for for one of my residential properties or commercial property, then I'll be out of pocket for you know a few weeks until I find a new one, even a few months for commercial. But because this one has commercial down the bottom and residential top, if I have two tenants leave, I still have enough cash flow to support you know the mortgage repayments until I find a new one. So I wanted to yep. look at it from that de-risk perspective. But also too, I wanted to ensure that I can add value. And that was the other criteria I said to the buyer's agent who found this for me was I need to be able to add additional value in some shape, form, whether it be uh, an extra unit that I can actually develop on through DA approval or you know um, planning and permit that they're calling in Victoria or do some kind of renovation, which I can actually boost up the value. And because I did a renovation recently and finished it, um, the value of the rental went from 220 to about or to 560 a week now for the top. So it literally doubled in value. Wow. Yeah. So it was a very, very good return on that side of things. And all I have to do now is give it a few more months. I'll go back to the bank and say, look, this is the increase in rental. Let's, you know, revalue the property. And because yep. commercial isn't the same as revaluation for a residential, they based everything on the yield we can pretty much manufacture equity much, much quicker. Whereas residential, it's 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 very unknown. It's all dependent on what's surrounding the area. And even if you- Comparable sales methodology versus like the capitalization, right? Ca- yeah, exactly. And um, if properties in the area that haven't been renovated or even renovated are still the same price, it's very hard to justify that for residential. Whereas commercial, yep. easy. You can just add value, manufacture that equity and um, yeah, move on from there. So Love it. Yeah. So that's that's my strategy at this point in time, and you know subdivisions and development happening in the background with a few joint venture partners. Yep, and now you you're obviously 
all in on the on the real estate investing personally and with the JVs, but um, also the the podcast. We need to get started on that. Um, as I mentioned before, check check out Property Investory. And if you're listening to mine, you've probably seen it anyway. <laughs> um, but what was the motivation behind that? And 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 when you sort of t- talk about running your business, is, is that a business for you? It is. It is. So. This aspect, (laughs) I probably should start the story back before when I first started Property Investory and I think a lot of listeners who have heard my story probably know this but I'll sort of just give you a quick shortened version. The reason why I started Property Investory um, podcast was initially, I was listening to a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of those podcasts were great. They had a lot of information about the how to invest into property. And they, they had, you know, recent market stats and talking about, you know, what's happening in the market and so forth, which is great and all. But the thing is, what was missing out of that was the why behind a lot of these investors that they brought on to interview. A lot of the investor stories I heard was like, okay, share with us what's in your portfolio, how much rental you're, you're getting from it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what to- are your top five <laughs> tips for investing to maximize their results? Yeah, it's great. I mean, like, <laughs> you, could, you could hear and learn a lot from that, but at the same time, it's not inspirational (laughs) if you want to put it there's no story behind it and i thought i would love to know why did these guys actually get into property what were some of the challenges that they faced what were some of the great things that they actually picked up and learned as part of their journey and and i think that's the reason why i started it's because i was getting frustrated that i couldn't hear those stories and then by actually realizing wow there's an opportunity here to be able to capture this plus selfish reasons to learn from all these experts i i pretty much went okay after a year, actually, it took me and I just went ahead and just set it all up and, and started interviewing these guests and then thought, I've got to make it really different because I want to make sure I paint a story rather than just another, record the interview, put a top and tail and then, you know, share it out in the audience. Um, not saying that, you know, that's not a great format. It works tremendously well. But I think in order to sort of be different, interesting, inspirational and, you know, to, to provide value for a listener because, you know, everyone's time is valuable. I want to be able to give them the best um, listening experience, but also a, li- a great story within that hour that they're, you know, got the earbuds on with me. So that's really one of the main reasons why I did it. And since then, you know, I've learned so much and made so many great friendships and connections and had so many wonderful guests on the show who I would never have imagined in my life to have ever met, you know, people who. Uh, experts in the media, people like yourself, you know, Mike. <laughs> it, it's just so many people that I, you know, in order to actually meet these, I would have had to attend all the seminars and you just don't have the time to go all, to all these events and so <laughs> yeah. forth. And even to even go to an event, you don't even know when it's on. Due to COVID, that's not even happening anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. So just pick up a phone, uh, you know, make a call, have a chat to them for an hour. And yeah, it's those relationships that are just so powerful. And that's, that's why I thought, share this podcast with the rest of the world. I love it, and and I love the uh, the interest in the human story as well, rather than just getting the tips. Although, if you wouldn't mind stopping telling people that you actually do it just because you get free advice, um, because I don't want to give the secret away of of the real reason why we're running these podcasts. Now, um, with respect to um, interviewing all of these guests over the years. Um, are there any insights that you've sort of gleaned from the experts, anything that they have in common, any sort of personality traits? I mean, you're getting to know the psychology of the, the individuals. What, what sort of, what can you report back? Mm, that's a fantastic question. And 
I guess interviewing over like 300 guests on the show and, and really you know delving deep into their stories, I've learned so much. And I think a lot of commonalities that I've seen and heard is a lot of them are just persistent. You know, they, they say, look, you just got to start somewhere and they all take action because you can learn so much. There's so much information in the in the world today, especially <laughs> whichever topic you look at. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's on podcasts. It's it's unbelievable. And I think at this point in time in our lives, we have just ample, ample too much information. And it's gone the opposite way. Back then, 20, 25 years ago, it was just hard to get the information. Even trying to get the simple pricing of a property, you'd have to go somewhere into a library or somewhere just to even ask, even just a council to get that. But now it's on RP data. You just open the button and it's like, okay, I know exactly how much that's worth. So that information is so easily accessible that we have way too much content. And at this point in time, people are sort of wanting to get succinct down, I guess, detailed information, but in a simple way and really, really straight to the point rather than just have to search through because we've got too much information. And that's what I'm, I'm finding that people are asking for that right now is that they just want, okay, tell me what it is that I need to know and I just want to go and implement it rather than me have to search through all this amount of ample information. So, yep. education, I think, in my opinion, is one aspect but knowing the right information is key. And once you've got that information, what do you do? You've got to know how to implement it. You've got to know how to take action. And also, you've got to know how to build your team around it because at the end of the day, it's, this is a team sport. Doing, building a property portfolio, doing any developments, doing any of those type of things, you need to have the right people in place, people who know their fields really well. You know, like for example, Mike yourself, you know, in, in conveyancing, I would be the one seeking you for expert advice on what to do with my property if I need to get conveyancing services. A real estate agent, that would be the one who out there on on the on the grounds speaking to vendors buyers and so forth knowing what the market is because i i wouldn't have the time to do that so yeah i think that that's the key component that i've seen a lot common throughout all these guests i've interviewed so um education team building persistence but also too what's really interesting is that everyone has a strategy and they've got a strategy that they've learned to focus on because if yeah. you get yourself scattered and you do so many multiple things, you'll never get anywhere. So, a lot of them I've learned that they say, okay, focus on just one strategy and just do that really, really well and you'll get yeah. you know what you want to achieve. But you got to make sure you have the right goal in place before you even formulate. And that's where I think a lot of people get stuck is that they initially buy their first property which most likely be an owner-occupier. After that, they go, oh, I've actually got a bit of equity. I want to go and buy another property. But then it's like, okay, what's your reason behind it? What's the strategy behind it? Are you planning to build a portfolio that's going to generate positive cash flow? Are you planning to go and do a little bit duplex development that will actually, you know, bring in additional cash flow? I don't know. It's it's just all these things, and you've got to be very very cautious on the strategy, and you've got to be able to conduct or make a strategy that's going to fit with your lifestyle and what your goals are going to be. So I think that those are some of the things that I've picked up from them. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's, there's other things that have been very interesting. It's I think everyone is, is so willing to share their information because they're open and they they're, you know, want to be able to give back, and especially people who have succeeded really, really well, you know, have, have already created financial freedom for themselves. They want to be able to just give back to the community in some shape or form because they know that back then when they sought out for mentorship or advice, other people have given them time freely as well. So they just want to pay it forward. And that's what I think has yeah, been or, key. Yeah, or, or of course that they didn't have someone and they wish they did and they would have made less mistakes if they had someone like they are now helping that person at the beginning of their journey as well, right? 
Absolutely. And then I think that's one thing I really, really wish I did have as well too at a very early stage. Luckily, I did have Steve, but at the same time, I wish there was someone who actually, after Steve, was able to sort of hold my hand a little bit more to provide a little bit more you know, strategic advice because Steve gave all the education and the frameworks and everything. But at the end of the day, I needed someone to sort of provide a better strategy for me. And you know, starting at that age, I, I could have had a really good head start, but I kind of lost direction. And that's where I really you know, found that having a coach now currently has made that huge difference to help me focus. Is, and is that more sort of like a personal style business coach or, or a specific property coach you're talking about? This is a specific property coach that I'm talking about. She, she gives yeah. me sort of strategic advice on how I should be handling certain things because property in itself is a big topic and there's so many aspects, so many different types of property that you can look at, you know, from simple buy and hold all the way to building large townhouses and there's so many different avenues that you can look in. And you need really some, I guess, people who've done it, been there, done that and just learn from them and follow their guidance because rather than reinvent the wheel and do it yourself and learn from that, you may as well just follow advice of what people have done successfully. Yeah, of course. That makes perfect sense. Now, you've been quite complimentary of of your guests at large, but, you know, we want the dirt, Tyrone. <laughs> I knew you'd ask that. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to name names. There must have been some pricky personalities, some prima donnas, some I'm going back to my trailer stuff, surely. Well, I won't name names, but I will, <laughs> I will, <laughs> I will tell you some of the stories I've not aired before. And, and the reason why is because, um, yeah, I discovered there was a little bit of one, conflict of interest, but also two, some of the stories that they're told were not literally true. So I couldn't cool. verify wow. it. So. <laughs> I, I was I was not known to that. They, when I was first introduced to them because there had been a past guest intro, I thought, oh, you know, I trust this person. But then after delving deep and they came back to me and said, look, you know, something's happened between them. I, I just felt it, I wasn't comfortable to share that story. So, yeah, it, was, it, was, it just painted out this guy, you know, one of the guests that previously I interviewed, not that, as I said, is not, it's not publicly available, was he was sharing that he had built this massive development and um, he was able to buy out that development for, you know, almost next to nothing. And that was during the, the GFC as well too. And then from there, he's able to help a lot of investors invest and get mortgage loans and all that kind of stuff. And it sounded too good to be true. You know, I, I thought it was a mm. fantastic story because he painted the picture and everything like that. But then, you know, delving a bit deeper, found out a lot of his clients never actually resulted to anything. So, yeah, I'm just kind of <laughs> a bit, yeah, just devastated that that story was shared with me. But at the same time, it was part of a, you know, learning lesson. And uh, I do get all sorts of walks of life. You know, I've had people who have told me that, the, their um, house got completely burnt down, robbers had come in, um, next door neighbors had electrical cables plugged into theirs and then, you know, caused another accident down there. I've wow. had, you know, people, I guess, murdered in their houses. Yeah, I've had all sorts of stories. <laughs> people with crosses of blood hang on the wall. It's, it's crazy. But uh, that, that's the things that we love to, you know, learn and hear from because <laughs> it makes it exciting. Brilliant. It's 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 tricky though, isn't it? Because I sort of toss and turn at night sometimes, thinking, you know, you you try and get people that you think are of value to your audience. So, like, um, I, I don't sell anything on my podcast or anything like that. I, I know you, you're the same, right? I mean, you have sponsors, but yeah, you're not sponsors. flogging no. any particular angle. Um, you know, I sell 
a tax depreciation schedule if you want to buy one. But there's no like I don't I didn't mention that right. No. Um, but I live in fear that I'm going to get somebody on the on the podcast that may turn out to be sort of a little bit dodgy that's got through my you know BS filter. And, you know, maybe people make contact because of listening to me and then they find themselves, you know, in financial hardship or the end of, you know, on the receiving end of some, some pain. Is, is that something that you sort of worry about as well? Or have you just, you just got a better research team? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a better research team. The research team is actually myself. So. <laughs> yeah, that's me too. Yeah, so, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I also do have some of those fears as well too, but at the end of the day, most of the podcasts that all the guests that come on are pretty genuine. You know, I, you can tell just from doing a little bit of, of research behind their background and also just asking some of your peers whether or not they're genuine and so forth and whether or not the information that they supply is, is also true. But uh, at the same time, um, y- you will get the feel that some some of the guests just don't come across naturally. And uh, I, I guess for me, at the end of the day, I just want to provide value whether or not that person has, you know, had some hardships and so forth in the past. That's their, you know, issues that they face. But at the end of the the day, my sole purpose is to deliver a a good inspirational story for people. And if they like the story, great. If they don't, that's fine. And I've got no obligation. I don't push anyone to say, you got to reach out to them to use their services. All I do is say, if you want to get in contact with them, feel free to, you know, it's your your obligation to do that. It's a a meritocracy, right? I mean, you provide the, the platform and it's up to them to deliver engaging content or great advice and the best interviews have no sales angle right it's Mm. like you don't have to say this is what I do and you come to my website and you'll get this free you know three-point checklist you can book a discovery call it's just like if you just if you nail it people will find you and they'll be like I want to work with that person yeah, yeah, no, it's totally true. I mean, the the only time I, I would usually share something is because if it's worked for me and, I, you know, if I'm passionate about something that works, whether it be a tool or service and stuff like that, I will share it with my audience because, you know, I want to make sure I give them value because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm here to deliver and provide value for the audience, whether it be to help them with whatever they're doing because if it worked for me I, and I've tried it for my personal experience, then I'm, I'm more than likely going to recommend it to many other people and that's usually how I work. I don't usually like to recommend anything unless i've tried it myself and if it works why not you know i think that's pretty much the natural instinct of most people if if something's great why not recommend to your family why not recommend to your friends and peers yeah we all love someone coming to us and saying oh you know thanks for hooking us up with that person they are actually really awesome and i got this result and yeah good people I, I like to think that you know the good guys win in the end i've seen plenty of evidence where that's not true <laughs> no. but I, I I liked I was still clinging on to that belief, you know. You know, there's there's a there's a million different ways to sort of build wealth with with property. Um, you know, obviously there's the people that are doing the development stuff or the sub subdivisions or construction, flipping all that sort of stuff. Uh, are there any guests that have kind of you know had a a very sort of intoxicating argument that have swayed you along your sort of property journey? <laughs> it's so easy to be swayed, I can tell you that because there's so <laughs> many different ways. Just every episode. Every episode, <laughs> just like, yeah, oh, commercial's great, residential's great, oh, development, oh, <laughs> it, 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 flipping, it, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> let's try international. <laughs> no, it, it, it is very easy to, to just be 
I guess, hearing the successes behind it, but then when you ground yourself and you ask the questions about the difficult times, the challenges, the risks and so forth, then it makes you think, okay, you've you got to assess each one individual by case to case. And at the end of the day, you got to find what will suit your personality. Like, I'm more of an active pro- project management type of person who likes to actually be managing and actively involved in projects. I'm not the person who will just buy and let it sit and just do nothing. I, I want to do something to it. So for me, that's why I prefer to go into something like project management of a development rather than just you know buy and hold a property because it would drive me nuts. <laughs> not, not that it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, I need those type of properties in my portfolio but at the end of the day, if I want to do something that um, would build manufacturer equity, I've got to actually, you know, look for those type of deals. So it, it it's all different for everyone, you know, depending on your job, depending on your family, depending on your circumstances. Everyone's got different needs and wants, and you just got to find the right strategy that fits within your framework and your personality. And I was just about to ask: Is there any particular sort of strategy that you use? Obviously, you've you've just said that the the development style is is what really sort of floats your boat. But the, was there a point at which that sort of wasn't available to you from a from a cash or a cash flow point of view? Like you needed those bread and butter properties to get to that point. Like if people are wanting to get into the development stuff, which seems to be like a natural progression for investors, there's a lot of people that think. I want to, you know, one day I want to be a developer, but, you know, we need to get enough capital behind us so that we can, you know, get bank finance for a development. Was that was that sort of an important step along the way for you? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't exposed to property development for a while actually because the interviews I did a lot of were mostly just investors who built their portfolio up and, and purchased properties, maybe done a bit of renovations and just held on to them and generate cash flow. But then once I started stumbling across property investors who were property developers as well, that's when it opened up a whole new world and they actually helped me overcome the myth of that you actually need capital yourself to be able to do it. It's not true. You know, it's, you can actually learn to work with joint venture partners or money partners to be able to raise that capital. You just got to know where to go to find them. You, you know, there's deals out there. You just got to find the right people to help you find those deals such as buyers agents or, you know, other, I guess, you know, real estate agents who might have deals in, in the pipeline. Like uh, daily, I'm getting really uh, property development deals coming from a few agents coming to me and I'd review them on a daily basis to see if it's suitable for what we want to do. And then I would go out and, and find partners to be able to fund that. And I'm basically the manager, between the project manager behind, behind the scenes to actually put it all together. So I, I don't need to put any money in there, but I, I pretty much do the work to ensure that the deals do stack up. So that's kind of helped me overcome that because initially I thought exactly the same that, oh, development's quite expensive. There's a lot of capital involved. There's a lot of work involved, but once you actually educate yourself, and that's what I, I spent quite a bit of time, I spent a good 12 months educating myself, practicing, learning, speaking with a lot of experienced developers and realizing, hold on, if these guys are already doing it and a lot of them don't even use their own money, they actually use either bank's money or raise capital from investors, it, it's definitely possible and they're doing small scale to large scale developments and I, I think it's just opening up your world to that aspect and, and just having a chat to them just to find out like... I just did an interview actually this morning with uh, a guy who um, is working on the Walker Street Towers that's over in North Sydney and that particular development 
is is you know quite a large scale development. It's it's approximately going to get like thirty thousand square feet of commercial property or not commercial property floor space, as they say, in that building. But to actually raise the capital to be able to buy out the units that they bought, I think they bought like twenty four units, will require a lot of capital. And he didn't have a lot of capital to start off, so he just went and raised that capital from overseas investors and so forth. But they've been able to put the whole project together to be able to develop a whole new residential precinct in that area because they're going to replace that section there that currently is just these old red units like eight or whatever units are there so they're just going to revamp and rebuild the whole place into a beautiful apartment which has beautiful ocean views and harbor views and so forth which will be in high demand so something like that and he's like you know still in his 20s doing a, a development like that so i'm like wow you know it's just opened my perspective that you don't need to have a lot of capital behind you to be able to do it. It'd be great if you did because then you own the development. But it is possible if you want to get into things like property development or do renovations or subdivisions, you can actually raise that capital as long as there is a return for everyone and there's a win-win scenario there. Yep. And how would you recommend people sort of putting that pitch together? If you if you are interested in doing that and you and you understand the opportunities and and let's say you you understand property development. How how would you recommend people put something together to to put under the noses of investors to put a deal like that together? <laughs> this is the thing. I realize that the investors will come to you if the deal is really, really good. It, the, mon- right. the money just comes because, you know, who doesn't want to be part of a great deal to make money? Like, ultimately, if you know you're going to get an X amount of return on your money rather than just sit in the bank, I would definitely give that to you any day. You know, I, I yeah. last, last um, just before COVID, I had invested six months ago on a deal that was in Victoria, which returned 20%. And just before COVID you know, happened, I got my return back on investment. That deal just came to me based on a referral. And I just said, oh, look, I'm just jumping. I'm going to put you know, a few hundred K into it to get my return. And obviously, it worked out really well. So the money will come regardless. You know, and I had to find that money because I knew that deal was really, really good. And you don't get that very often. So I think if, if you find a deal that stacks up and there is a good return on it, the money will flow. But in terms of just answering your question of how you should put that, I guess it comes back down to education and also learning from people who've done those because there's lots and lots of templates that already exist in the market. There's no point reinventing the wheel and creating your own template. There's lots and lots of proposal templates if you go and find the right developers to speak to because they do it day in, day out. Just ask them if they can show you that template, learn from them and you know put it all together. And it's just basically a proposal that is used widely across um, in the development industry be tweaked and so forth but you know that's how you would present it love it because i've got an alpaca farm slash car wash that just can't lose so i'll make sure you're in round one for for the investors tyrant where is um where's the portfolio at the moment for you in terms of the phase i mean sort of you know like consolidation Mm. um, growth um and what are the plans for the future yeah, I'm still in the growth phase. I, I am keen to purchase more properties. I I think after the financial year, once I do my tax return, I'll probably be going out to look at another property hopefully soon. Uh, what am I going to do for the future? Well, I still love, as I said, doing development. I, I want to probably get a little bit more into more hands-on experience and possibly delve into um, speaking with and, and working with closer to developers who can actually teach me a lot, lot about the bigger side of things of development. So I want to sort of move towards that kind of field. Um, yeah, but I, I do consider, con- I do see myself continuing on with 
podcasting, which is you know my business that I love doing, but also too I still consider myself still developing and, and buying property. So yeah, everything's going to continue the way it is, and there'll be a certain time where I go, okay, maybe I'll start consolidating, but that won't be you know for a while because I'm still quite <laughs> young. <laughs> well, circle back with us because uh, I'd be keen to sort of stay in touch with with your journey. You've done some pretty amazing stuff so far. If if people are wanting to to get in touch with you, Tyrone, apart from checking out the podcast Property Investory, which I recommend if you haven't come across it. How can they reach out to you? Sure. You can visit uh, my website at propertyinvestory.com. Uh, so it's basically the word property investor with a Y at the end.com. And uh, yeah, just click on the contact button and you'll be able to reach out to me. Just send a message there. Otherwise, you know, feel free to text me. I'll give you my number. It's 499 I publicly you know announce that in my podcast anyway because I'm, I'm open for people just to text me and ask questions you know i'm happy to have a chat and have further conversations so feel free to you know reach out to me beautiful love a mobile number um <laughs> you, you, there's, there's there's very few people seem to be giving those out and, I, and you know in terms of access i mean that's that's absolutely gold isn't it um now tyrone if there's uh, one piece of advice that you could give to property investors, what would that be? I would say be very, very clear about your goals first before starting. That's something that I would say first because I think from experience, learning from others who have just gone in there and purchased a property because thinking that, okay, we're going to buy another property and buy another property and so forth. And I've met investors who have bought of easily 10 properties and they're all negative cash flow and they're having about $100,000 per year negative cash flow going out. I'm like, wow, that's a full-time job to sustain that portfolio. Uh, they they you know said that, look, they had to make a big change and that's where that story was very, very interesting because they turned it around and eventually turned into a $300,000 positive cash flow portfolio based on what they did, selling, you know, rebalancing, etc. But they weren't clear about their goals because all they had in the back of their mind was their parents saying, buy more property, buy more property because the yep. parents were saying, yeah, this is great. But they didn't know the process. They didn't realize what was actually the strategy. It just wasn't done correctly. So at the end of the day, I think the first thing is focus on what your goals are, what you want to achieve, then work backwards and formulate a strategy that will help you achieve the goals because at the end of the day, property is just a vehicle and the vehicle, which is property, will be able to generate a lifestyle that you choose that you want, but you've got to be very clear on what it is. Otherwise, it's very easy to just get sidetracked and going to do other things. It could be shares, it could be business and so forth. So I think the biggest advice I can probably give to people is firstly, work out what your goals are, formulate a strategy, and then work closely with the right people to be able to help you formulate you know, the action plan or implementation plan to get whether or not be property, shares, or whatever it is that you want to do. But as I said, property is a vehicle, and um, if that's the path you choose, then definitely find someone to help you with the uh, implementation. That's awesome. I couldn't, couldn't think of a better way to finish off with some sterling advice. Tyrone, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure, and I uh, love this recording, so thanks again. Cheers.